Would you turn to Hebrews 3? And um, we're going to start right in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brethren... That's a big statement right there, isn't it? Do you understand how blasphemous it is to call someone holy who is not holy? Do you, know, do you realize how, how extreme a statement it is to be called holy? I mean, we, we hear it so much, and we, we've called ourselves saints for long enough that maybe it's lost a bit of its power. As Jesus said, your traditions have made void, powerless, null the Word of God. Sometimes we, we let ourselves be so bogged down in tradition that we call each other saints and don't remember what that means. When he says we're holy brethren, that means we have been made holy. That Jesus made us perfect. That Jesus made us clean. That Jesus made us what we never could have made ourselves. When he calls you holy brethren, that's a moment to say, thank God I get to be called a holy brother or a holy sister. He says, holy brethren, partakers... Partakers, not just tasters, not just smellers, but partakers of a holy, heavenly calling. Man, that's cool, isn't it? Partakers of a heavenly calling. Does that mean that you are partaking right now? Absolutely, it should. Does it mean you've already partaken? Absolutely, it should. Does it mean there's more to partake? Absolutely, it should. We are partakers of a heavenly calling. He says, consider Jesus. Now, what does it mean to consider? It means to set your mind on that, right? That's, that's an action. You don't, you don't passively consider something. This is, this is telling your mind what to think about. Do you ever do that? I hope so. <laughs> I hope you're not so distracted that whatever happens to be on the radio is what you're thinking about that day. Or, or whatever somebody says to you. You know, that's very easy. It's the way the world walks because they walk in darkness. So whatever happens, happens. And whatever's coming up, that's what they're thinking about. But as believers, you've got control over this thing we call the mind, this thing we call the soul. You've got control over your emotions. You've got control over your brain. It may not seem like it, but you do. And you have to tell yourself what to think about. We can do that. And in this case, he says, here's what you're supposed to tell yourself to think about. Consider Jesus. Put your eyes on him. Put your mind on him. Consider Jesus the apostle the apostle is one who sets things in order. The apostle is one who begins things. The apostle is one who finishes things. He says, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. High priest means it's his job to take care of it. Means it's his job to oversee it. Means he's our representative between us and God. He represents us to God. He re represents God to us. He is our high priest. And you're only going to be as holy as your high priest. And he is our high priest. So when, when, when God speaks to us, he speaks through the high priest. When he sees you, he sees you through the high priest. That's a cool thought. That Jesus is our high priest. He says he was faithful to him who appointed him. So Jesus was faithful to God, right? As Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. By just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. Isn't that cool? He says Moses has enough honor because he, he's, he's the house that was built. But Jesus has the most honor because he's the guy that built the house. That's cool. Now so far, three verses in, we've just been thinking about Jesus, haven't we? This is what life is supposed to be like. It's supposed to be thinking about Him. You're really meant to set your hope, set your faith, set your affection, set your thoughts on who He is and what He's done. And when you do that, suddenly you begin your life. Your life takes a different course. It doesn't take the course of the world. It doesn't take the course of your flesh. It begins to model itself after what you're looking at. When you're looking at Him and you're putting all your hope on Him, it's that old song. Remember that old song? Christ the solid rock of stand. It says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That talks about, I dare not trust. I mean, it, you really, there's nothing else we can place our hope in. It's very easy to place your hope when you're, when you're doing well. It's easy to fall back into that and to begin to think that you're doing well. And to begin to think that I'm doing this and this is going well. You know why? And I'll tell you why. And you may get up and preach it. You know why? 
because I made a decision and I did this and I did that. But ultimately, guys, it comes back to because Jesus is our high priest, because he has been counted worthy of more glory, because he's the builder of the house, I'm just the house. And it's ludicrous for the house to say, look at me, look what I've built. You have been built. Now, thank God you've allowed yourself to be built. Thank God you've let the builder into your life. Thank God you've not resisted him. Because that is the ultimate sin, isn't it? Resisting the Holy Spirit. Resisting Jesus. That, that is, my friends, it's the only unforgivable sin. Is resisting the Holy Spirit's work in your life. What's the Holy Spirit's work in your life? The first work He ever does is to bring you to Jesus Christ. That's why it can't be forgiven. Because if you can't accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, as Hebrews says, there's no other sacrifice. This, when he says blaspheming the Holy Spirit is the sin that can't be forgiven, he's not talking about you swore while other people were praying in tongues. He's not talking about you saying, I hate the Holy Spirit. Not even that. He's talking about you resisting the Holy Spirit. As Jesus said in the book of John, the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin. But then he tells us what that sin is. He says, he convicts them of sin because they don't believe in me. That's the Holy Spirit's first convicting work, is to tell them to believe in Jesus. And if you resist that, then you're not believing in Jesus. There's no hope in Jesus. There's no faith in Jesus. And what happens? There's no sacrifice left. So that's why it's unforgivable, because you haven't received forgiveness, because you won't accept forgiveness. You won't accept the sacrifice. There's nothing else left. So don't get worried now and say, well, did I... Did I get distracted while praise and worship was going on? Was that blasphemy? No, this is very specific. This is resisting the Holy Spirit. This is rejecting Jesus. And I don't believe any in this room is guilty of that. Thank God. So here's what he says. He says, He's been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For each, every house is built by someone. But the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. For a testimony of those things which should be spoken later. But Christ, Christ was faithful as a son over his house. He wasn't faithful just as a servant. He was faithful as a son who had rights, who had authority, and had ownership of it. Moses was just following orders. Jesus was faithful as a son. And it says this, whose house we are. So he's faithful over his house, right? He's taking care of his house. He's looking after his house. And that's not just a building, right? That's not just a a domicile. That's not just an edifice. That's not just an apartment complex. A house, he's talking about his family, his, his people, his tribe. He's faithful over them as a son. And it says, whose house we are. Man, that's cool. We're part of his house. We're part of his tribe. We're part of his people, his family. When Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jesus says, as for me and my house. And then there's a whole lot of stuff that go after that. He says, whose house we are, if we hold fast. That doesn't mean to quickly hold something. Hold fast means to hold on tight when everything says let go. We hold fast our confidence. Confidence, even in the English language, means with faith. You know, in Latin, fidelity, fide, you know, others, they fidelis. That, that, that means faith. But con means with. So there's this with Faith. This is our faith. If we hold fast this faith, if we hold fast this confidence, this hope, this belief in our high priest, that's where our confidence is, isn't it? And the boast of our hope firm until the end. You've got to look very quickly because this is like spiritual minefield area. It's where a lot of people get off track because they see these things and they get freaked out. They, they see an if and they get freaked out. But here's, we got to look at what it says. It says, it doesn't say whose house we are if we don't go and rob a bank. It doesn't say whose house we are if we don't lie anymore. It says whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. You've got to realize that has nothing to do with you except for your part in believing it. It's not your doing, it's your believing. Now your doing will come, thank God. I'm not one of those people that says it doesn't matter what you do. I believe it matters very much what you do. 
But it's got to start with belief. And the ultimate thing you'll be judged by is the belief. That's the big thing because our righteousness is found in Him. And the only way to obtain that righteousness is by faith. There's no other way. There's no action. There's no, there's no program. There's no schedule. You can't obtain His righteousness without faith. Verse 7. Therefore, so everything that was said before is now tying into this next section. And what has he said before? Who's he been talking about before? Jesus, 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 right? Jesus was faithful. Jesus is a high, high priest. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is, is, is counted for more honor. Jesus is the builder. So all of this is about Jesus. His faithfulness. His worthiness. His honor. Because of Him... We could say that, right? Are we safe in saying because of Him? Therefore, because of what He's done, because of what He said, because of who He is, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart. The first place you'll ever go astray is right here. You see somebody that goes astray and you, and you can see it and you know where they went. You, it didn't start with that. It's always right here. It's, it's, a, it's a faith issue. It's not, it's not a, it, it doesn't start out as a lust issue. It doesn't start out as, a, uh, as anything else but, but a faith issue to start with. You go astray in your heart and your body follows it. He says, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Whose rest? His rest. Not their rest, His rest. That could be His reward, His promise, His place that He's made for them, that He's designed for them. It's His rest, and He desires that they enter it. But He says they won't enter it because of their unbelief. Now, we know the story of this, right? We know what happened, and we'll read it in a minute. But we've talked about this story many times, Numbers 13, where they get to the... This is the people of Israel. They've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They get set free. It took them a while to believe that. Moses says, you know, I've come. They've been crying out to God, God, redeem us, redeem us. And then Moses says, here, I've come. God wants to redeem you. And they go, hmm, don't get our hopes up. And it says they couldn't hear it because of their shortness of spirit, their despondency. Because they couldn't believe it. And it says because they'd been so treated so harshly, because they'd been treated so badly, they couldn't, they couldn't hope anymore. They couldn't believe that God was, was there. They couldn't believe that Moses could lead them out. Well, finally Moses gets them to come out. Those, those signs were just as much for them as it was for Pharaoh. And they finally come out. And when they come out, God brings them almost directly to the promised land. It didn't take them long to get there. Most of what we know about their journeys in the wilderness was after they said no to God. They get to the promised land, and it's called, what's it called? The promised land. It's the promised land. Now, you don't have to be a detective to figure out there's a clue right here. It is not, it's not the land of your reward. It's not the land of, of opportunity. It is not the land. Oh, it's not the championship land. It is the promised land. Now, promised means it all it has to do. Everything has to do with the guy who promised it. If you promise me a birthday present, I don't have to earn the birthday present. You promised it to me. What do I have to do? I just have to receive the gift. They walk to the edge of the promised land, and then they don't go in. Because ten guys come back. Ten out of twelve come back and go, those giants are huge, we can't go in. And so they all said, instead of saying, but it's promised, it doesn't matter what it looks like, it doesn't matter how strong we are, it doesn't matter if we're carrying toothpicks to fight, we'll win because it's promised. And so who's it up to? If it's promised, who's it up to? Is it up to us and whether we worked out this morning? It's up to him. 
He's the promiser. So we can have the promise. Because if there's one guy we know that doesn't break his word, it's God. He's the only guy I know who's never had to break his word. Never had to, because breaking your word is a sign of weakness. You break your word because you don't have the strength to carry through on it. You don't have the ability to keep your word all the time. Now, thank God we're redeemed. We're, we're, we're people of our word now, aren't we? But have you ever had those times where you promised something and something came up and you just couldn't do it? It was a limitation, wasn't it? I can't be two places at once. Or I, I, my car broke down and I couldn't get there on time. You tried your best to make it, but you couldn't. That was weakness. That was a limit on you that you couldn't fulfill your word. And you would if you could. How many of you have said that? I know I made the promise, and I would if I could. God has never had to utter those words. I would if I could, because He can because he's God. There is no weakness in him. There's no limit in him. There is no shortness in his ability. So when he promises, you know, he said it, he's faithful and he's able, so we go in. And instead, they didn't believe him. Now look, he says this in verse 12, take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving in falling away from the living God. How do you fall away? You, through unbelief. What's the catch here? What's the sin? Now, they did a lot of things to tick God off. I, I'll give you that. <laughs> While Moses is spending 40 days in the presence of the living God, they're making a stupid calf made out of gold. No offense, guys, but none of us here, as much as we love those, those little critters, we don't want to worship them. We don't want to make gold statues of them. We don't think they'll deliver us from any wilderness or deliver us into the promised land. It's just a piece of metal in the shape of a dumb animal. Sorry. <laughs> I love these guys, but you know, they're not in, they're not in the school doing math with you. Come on. They're smart. They're as smart as they need to be to make it to my table. And that's all that matters. <laughs> Thank God. That's all the intelligence they really need. I don't need them to, I don't need to be plot, plotting a coup in the, in the ranch, you know. We just, just, they do their job. And so the Israelites make a golden calf. And of course, when Moses comes down and is angry, Aaron... Aaron takes on the intelligence of the God he worships. Right? Because you will become like what you worship. And Aaron says, I threw the gold in the fire, and this calf hopped out. <laughs> and I'm sure in his mind, I mean, this is the kind of excuse a four-year-old gives you. I tripped. I bumped the cupboard. The cookie jar fell off. And the cookie flew in my mouth and I couldn't help it. It's not the kind of excuse an, an old man who should know better would make. Well, I'm sure he thought for a moment, I've done it. I've come up with the ultimate excuse and Moses will never know that we made this thing. Why were you throwing the gold in the fire to start with? Even if it jumped out. What are you doing throwing gold in the fire? <laughs> you know, just, well, I don't know. We were just, you know. We always throw gold in the fire. That's what we do. Our, our most priceless possessions, we throw in the fire and see what happens. It's a, it's a great game. We learned it in Egypt. I don't know. It's, it's ridiculous. But he says, this is what we did. It jumped out. And of course, I mean, they get punished for that. They get punished for rebellion. But everything they ever did, if you think about it, it all comes down to this. Hebrews says it very clearly. It doesn't name line by line everything they ever did against God. Because everything they ever did was simply a product of unbelief. Everything they did. Why'd they make that calf? Because they didn't believe God could take them into the promised land. They believed they needed something stronger. Why did Moses hit that rock when God didn't tell him to hit the rock? Because he didn't believe that, God, that it would come out on its own. He got nervous. He, got, he said, I got to do something. He didn't just trust what God told him to do. Why did they rebel? Because they didn't believe God would bring them into the land. And here, 
when they got to the edge of the promised land, why didn't they go in? Because they had an evil, unbelieving heart. An unbelieving heart is an evil heart. It says this, but encourage one another day after day. So here's how you, here's how you fight the unbelief. Here's how you combat it in your friends, in your family, in your church, is you encourage one another to give each other heart, to encourage their faith. When you see somebody starting to, to waver, when, when there's somebody you know that, that is so close to receiving Jesus, but they're still not there, what's your job? Encourage them. When you see somebody that's so close to being free from addiction, what do you do? You encourage them. When you see somebody that once believed that God wanted them to go to this place or God wanted them to do that, but now starting to doubt it, what do you do? You build up their faith. Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And that sin is described in this chapter. There is no other sin that he names except for the sin of unbelief. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Today, While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me. For who provoked him when they heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of what? Unbelief. So what was the sin he's talking about? Unbelief. Isn't that so simple? That it all came down to they didn't believe God. And what did they believe? What didn't they believe? And you see, here he's saying, let's enter his rest. The rest that Jesus died to give you. The rest that our high priest made a way for you to receive. And he's talking in this particular book, the book of Hebrews, he speaks both to Christians and to Jews in the church that were playing the game and hadn't made a decision. You see it several times. He tells them straight out, and I quoted this before earlier in the service. He says straight out, guys, if you don't accept this sacrifice, he said the old way of sacrificing for sin, it's over. He said when Christ made a new way, he made obsolete the old way. So what's he saying? He's saying you can't go back and sacrifice an animal and expect it to take care of your sin. Once Jesus came, this is the new and living way. And guess what? It's the only way. So he says, guys, if you reject Jesus, he says, there remains for you no sacrifice. There's no other way. And so, he's got some people there that haven't made their decision yet. They're wondering if I really want, because, because it says they're possessions were being seized they were being rejected by their family but what does he say he says I mean they were going to be rejected by their whole culture for receiving Jesus and many of them that was a hard thing to, to do and we don't understand this in Canada as much as they did because you know what you can call yourself a Christian in the middle of Safeway and people will smile at you some people may scowl at you but you won't be rejected you won't be kicked out of the store you won't be kicked out of Lloydminster right you won't be thrown in prison you won't have your house taken away from you they did. They had to... I mean, it was a reproachful thing. It was a shameful thing in their culture to do this. So what happens? He says, he says, Jesus went outside the camp for you and bore your shame, bore your reproach. He was not a sinner. He was not a criminal. He was not a thief. And He was crucified like a criminal. He was rejected like a sinner. The Father turned His face away, not because He couldn't bear to see His Son crucified, but because Jesus was so full of your sin on the cross. He didn't deserve that, but he did it. Bore your reproach. So it says, now, let's go outside the camp, bearing his reproach, and meet him outside the camp. So there's a group of people who haven't made their choice yet. He says, make sure they don't fall short because of unbelief. Romans 10. I'll tell you what kind of unbelief this was. When you've been... I'm not telling you to turn to Romans 10. You sure can. <laughs> Tell you what kind of unbelief this was. Romans 10, Paul says he's praying for these Jewish brethren of his. He says, here's the issue. 
He says, God loves them so much. They, they, were, they were chosen to be vessels of honor. They were chosen to be uh, vessels of mercy. God loved them so much, but here's the issue. Seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have neglected the righteousness which is of God. So here's the unbelief. The unbelief is, I've been raised all my life to think that I made my own way. I've been raised my whole life to, to think if I kept everything, if I did everything right, I'd make it. They refuse to believe that all your righteousness is like filthy rags. And until you grasp His righteousness, until you say, I'm yours, I have nothing to bring to the table, you've got everything, you can't be born again. That's the unbelief He speaks of. Here's the rest. Here's what we step into. We step into His finished work. We step into His, His, His promise. We step into His, His reward. But you only do it by faith. And He says there's a group of people here that were not able to enter because of unbelief now let's look at that in Numbers 23 I just want you to see that for a moment I quoted a lot of it but it would do you well to see it Numbers 13 exactly what happened now after Numbers 13 I want to tell you once they made the decision to, to rebel and to disbelieve God there followed two major rebellions the people rebelled and then Korah led an official rebellion and those people died. Because once you, once you give up hope on Jesus, once you give up hope on God's promise, there will be nothing but rebellion left. The only way you'll, you'll stand, the only way you'll stay, the only way you'll, you'll hold firm is by holding fast your hope, holding fast your confidence. Once you give up hope in Him, there's no hope in yourself. You see, they're hopeless. They got to the promised land with God doing supernatural things for them. Do you see the, the, the kind of battles they won? God went out of His way to prove to them, you didn't do this on your own. How can you claim credit for a, a sea swallowing and drowning Pharaoh's army? How can you claim credit for that? Oh man, it's a good thing we uh, practiced our sea parting technique. There's no force they can use. There's, there's nothing. Either, either God does it or He doesn't. And if He doesn't, you drown too or you, or you die at the hands of the Egyptians. Later on, even, even after this generation, their sons and daughters would go into the promised land. And the first major victory, I mean, they won some little victories along the way. They won some battles, so much that Jericho was afraid. But the first city they assaulted was Jericho. This was the big one. This is the one we teach our kids about, Right? Now, they assaulted other cities after this. David took Jerusalem late. I mean, there were other cities to come that they took by means of laying siege to a city or going through a sewer or things like that. But this first one, this first one, God just wanted to prove to them, you're not doing this. And what better way to prove that you're not doing this than tell them to march around <laughs> and play trumpets and stuff. And then... You know, on the last day, march around seven times and then yell. This isn't in Sun Tzu's The Art of War. Best way to overcome a heavily fortified city is to march around it. A few days in a row, and then the last day, you march around seven times and just start yelling at it, and it'll crumble down. This doesn't work. What better way for God to prove to them, this is my doing, not yours. But in order, now see, thank God for a leader like Joshua that's just going to obey the Lord. You see, obedience comes from belief. If you believe, you obey. Disobedience, as we see here, remember it says they were disobedient, and then it says why they were disobedient? Because of unbelief. If you don't believe Him, you'll disobey Him. Because you don't trust Him. Don't you see this all the time, guys? In your own life, any time that you've disobeyed the Word of the Lord, why? Because you didn't trust Him. You started putting your trust in yourself and your trust in yourself falls short. God tells you to go up and, and share your testimony. I'm just putting it on a very simple term so that you can, everybody can identify with this. God tells you to tell your testimony. He says that it's not you that speaks. I'll speak through you. 
But you chicken out, you disobey him, and you don't say anything. Why? Because you didn't trust that he'd be there to speak through you. Even though he said he would. You thought, when I stand up, this is going to be a big prank that God pulls on me. I stand up and I'll start, and I'll have nothing to say, and everyone will laugh, and they'll write about it in the bulletin. How I messed up. The fantasies we come up with when we don't believe are, are really quite incredible. And I mean incredible on purpose. So we don't, we don't obey because we don't believe. You believe, you'll obey. You'll do stupid things if you believe. You will do crazy things if you believe. When Peter believed that Jesus could make him walk on water, he stepped out into a sea out of a boat. Nobody does that kind of stuff unless you believe. Joshua tells the sun to stand still. Is that normal? First of all, the sun's not the thing moving. <laughs> but God translated that for him. And he didn't give Joshua a science lesson. Sit down, buddy. I'm going to tell you something. The earth goes around the sun. Maybe you should tell the earth to move. No, God knows what he says. All Joshua, Joshua doesn't need to know how it happens. All he needs to know is, I want the sun to stay in that position in the sky. So what did God do? He didn't cause the sun to stop because the sun's not doing anything. He caused the earth to stop. I don't know exactly how he did that, but I know he did it. And all these things that people, that people step out and do, why? It's not because, they, it's not because they've, they've worked out more than you. It's not because they know more Bible than you. It's because they believe God. It's because they really believe him. You'll obey him. So here's what it says. Of course, Moses sent spies into the land. He did not ask them to figure out whether they could take it or not. That's not one thing that he said. Do you know what he asked them to find out? What the land is. He says, find out what the land is like. See whether the, see whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether there are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? How are the cities in which they live? Are they open camps with fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. I'm reading from Numbers uh, 13. Um, we just stopped in verse 20. Now this is what he asked. Now why does Moses ask them to, to find this out? Do you ever thought about this? I've thought about this before. I don't think Moses is just trying to figure out how they're going to attack. Moses believes God. What did God say? It's a land with big fruit flowing with milk and honey. Now he knows grapes are about to come. So he says, is it fat or lean? Which means does it have, does it have lots of stuff we can eat? Or is it, is it not? You know, is it, is it something that's fairly desolate and there's not a lot to eat? But then what does he say after that? get some of the fruit and bring it back. Doesn't it sound like he already kind of figures it's fat? Like he already knows what they're going to find? He knows it's grape season. They're going to find huge grapes. The kind of grapes it takes two people to carry. Like a vine of grapes with two people. <sighs> I mean, I've never encountered these grapes. This is what he expected. Now, he, he didn't say, now find out if we can take it or not. Think, see, if, see if we match them. He doesn't say anything about them. He just talks about the land, and this is the promised land. And what are they supposed to come back and say? They're supposed to come back and say, it was just like God said. And that would be a testimony to the people that God had told them the truth, which would give them the confidence to say, if He told the truth about that, then we know we can go in. And when the spies came back, the first thing they said was, even the bad spies, it's a good land. And it's just as He said. It truly is a land flowing with milk and honey. Should have shut up right there. Let's see what they said. Verse 25. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days. 40 days. 40 days to think. 40 days away from Moses. 40 days where 10 of them are idiots and don't believe God. 40 days for them to start worrying about what they're going to do. They proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does. Do you know what that certainly does mean? 
means you said it and it's true. It certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Okay, quit while you're ahead. Nevertheless, oh, you had to add the nevertheless. That's a fancier way of saying but. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. Okay, so far they're all right. But do you, do you see the difference between telling a report in faith and telling it in unbelief? You see, if you tell this report in faith, how do you say it? And it certainly does have strong fortifications. And you know what? It does have lands. But, but that doesn't. Do, the nevertheless comes after it. You put the nevertheless after the strong cities and the strong men and, and, the, and the obstacles. But you go, nevertheless, our God is good and He is faithful and He's strong. That's where you put the nevertheless. They put it before. This is an unbelieving report. You can come back from the doctor with a believing report and unbelieving report and say the same thing, but it all matters how you say it and what you believe when you say it. I went to the doctor today. I'm feeling better. But, he says, I can't beat this. Or you come back and say, I went to the doctor. I'm feeling better. He says, I can't beat this. But, God says, I can. Difference, right? Nevertheless, and people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. That's a giant. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses, because all of a sudden, rabble, 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 rabble. You know, they're already starting to get nervous. And Caleb quiets the people. That's a nice way of saying, shut up. <laughs> and said, we should by all means, thank God there's somebody that says something like that, we should by all means go up and take possession of it. Don't you see what he says? Take possession. That sounds like somebody who already knows it's promised. That sounds like somebody who already knows it's a done deal. Who's somebody who already knows it's not up to me. It's about the promise. Now listen to me. This is really what I want to talk to you about this morning. And, and don't worry, this doesn't mean we're adding an extra hour to anything. We just sometimes tell you what we're talking about halfway, three quarters through a message. But what we really need to hear is that had they understood that this was a bigger picture than just them, they would have received the promise. The problem is when we go in and we think that this is just up to us or it's just whether we've, we've, um, we've earned our reward today or we've, we've earned our cookie at the end of the day and we don't realize that this is a bigger story than, than we think. It's not just about us. It's about, the, it's about history. It's about God. It's about covenant. It's about the whole redemption of mankind. Had they realized, remember what in Exodus 6, I believe it is, when they're first told that you're going to the promised land, do you know what he tells them? I'm going to take you into the land which God swore to your forefathers. And you'll take possession of it. Do you hear that? Does it say anything about what you've done? How well, how, how loudly you cried? I swore it to your forefathers. This isn't about you guys. This is about a covenant I made with Abraham. This is about a covenant I made before Abraham with mankind in the garden. This is about a covenant I made with myself. I would not let these people die. And I would redeem humanity. This isn't about you. You start looking at yourself and saying, this is about me. You start seeing your flaws. You start seeing your inadequacies. This isn't about you. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. God still loves the world. You think that you're not good enough to go up and pray for somebody. Have you ever considered, well, I can't pray for that person because of all, you know, I, I've just, I'm, I, just, I think there's so many things wrong with my life. Do you know what? I, get your life in order. Yes, absolutely. But at some point, you've got to realize God's going to heal that person because He loves them. Not just because He loves you. So if you limit, you limit God's power to you, and well, He'll heal this person because He loves me so much, you're putting all the focus on you, and it'll fail. But if you say, God loves that guy, and I'm just a vessel, then you're going to see some power. Because all of a sudden, it's about God's love for him. Not God's love for you, but God's love for that person right there. God does love me, thank God. 
It's not about my love for him. But now it's about God's love for that person that you're praying for. And now you can step out of the picture and let Jesus be Jesus to that man. And if they had realized, we're going into the promised land because it's been sworn to our forefathers. It's not about us. We're just the ones who get to do it. Do you know, if we realize that God's covenant with you is so much bigger than you, you won't limit it to what you've done. Or I mean, this is the thing. In 1 Timothy, he says, when we are faithless, when we are faithless, which means we broke our end of the deal, He is faithful. He remains faithful, it says, because He cannot deny Himself. Wait a second. What does that mean? That means this covenant isn't just between you and God. It's between God and Himself. It's between Jesus and the God. It's It's not just about you. It's about Him. And He says, when you break your deal, He keeps His deal because it's not just about you. It's about He can't deny Himself. You win everything we're called to do, guys, is not just about whether or not you, you, you did well in Sunday school, whether or not you, you read the right verses. It's really about God's covenant with mankind. We get to play a part in that. God's covenant with Jesus Christ. We're His inheritance. We're stepping into His inheritance. And we have to. Because if we don't, the, everybody else that's, that's ran the race says they won't become perfect. Their race isn't done until we finish ours. And we finish ours by faith. What does it say? Who do we look at when we run the race? Jesus. The author, that means the one that started it, and the finisher, the completer, the one who finishes it, the one who, who perfects it, the author, perfecter, finisher of our faith. That's why you've got to fix your eyes on Him. I'm sorry, let's read the rest of this. We've got a little off track. It's good. then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said we should by all means go up and take possession of it for we shall surely there's no doubt surely overcome it but the men who had gone up with him said we are not able did God ever ask them if they were able God simply asked them to believe that he was able we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us yes they are They are too strong for you, but they're not too strong for God. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. It's funny, they came back after 40 days, undevoured. But, had we stayed there 41 days, (laughs) and all the people whom we saw in it were men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, uh uh-oh, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were on their side. We've talked about this plenty of times. The Nephilim didn't tell us, you're grasshoppers. The Nephilim didn't say, you remind me of a grasshopper. They just simply saw themselves as that. So they assumed that's what the Nephilim thought. And that's really not the issue. The people began to rebel. Verse 34. Sorry, chapter 14. There's no verse 34. <laughs> Tricked you. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to him, said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Well, why? Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're wishing they had died in the wilderness. You're still there. What's worse? I mean, dying in the wilderness or dying in the promised land? I don't know, but apparently... And why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. It's a great game he's playing. Ha, 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 gotcha. I brought you into the promised land only so you could die. Unbelief makes people stupid. I'm sorry, it does. I don't mean to be harsh. But sometimes you need someone to be a little bit harsh. That Some of the stupidest things you'll ever say are when you stop believing God. Why did God bring us here? Just to kill us? Yeah. He's weird like that. No, God didn't bring you to kill you. Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Let's go reverse the way we went. Reverse 
uh, right back to Egypt and say, we're back. And Pharaoh will receive us. And he'll say that whole deal with the sea, don't worry about it. Not a big deal. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then He will bring us into the land and give it to us. That's huge, isn't it? The Lord will give it to us. There's nothing here that says you've got to go take it. The Lord will give it. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they shall be our prey. The protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That's, that's your life, isn't it? The Lord is with us, so I don't fear them. But if I trust God, if I believe God, if I, if I put all my hope in Him, then, then this is no problem, it's a no-brainer. I'll go in because He said I could. But if you put all your trust in yourself, and you trust in other people, and your trust in, in your ability, then you begin to say, I can't, they're bigger. You're all called to ministry of some sort, guys. It may not be one of the five that's listed in Ephesians, but it certainly is, is, is God working through you to do something amazing. Do something just, just absolutely, just beyond your comprehension. But you're going to have to get over yourself before anything will ever happen. Got to get past yourself. Got to get past your ability. Get over it. You don't have the ability. Settle that right now. My ability won't cut it. Then you can just step into the impossible and say, but His ability does. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. This is not a good glory of the Lord appeared. This is not a show me your glory. I, did, I tried to do a third day impression. I'm sorry. This is a, uh-oh, daddy's coming into the room. This is not a happy glory. This is a, you're in trouble glory. <laughs> This is not a, thank God, Daddy came home. I missed you, Daddy. This is, uh oh, you're going to get trouble when your dad comes home. Moses pled for the people. I'm not going to read the rest of it. Moses pled for the people and interceded for them, and they were spared. But then Korah led a rebellion, and many of them were swallowed up by the earth. And only two men out of that whole group went into the promised land Joshua and Caleb. And they did not go in because they were better military generals. They did not go in because they ate their vitamins. I'm sorry, Randy, that's not why. <laughs> they went in because they were the only two that said God's right. Moses and Aaron, but Moses and Aaron had previously made the same mistake the Israelites had made. Moses had not trusted God, and so he didn't get to go in. But Joshua and Caleb said, God's right. It's not about us. It's about Him. It's about His promise. It's about His covenant. So I'm going to have it. You're going to walk in the blessing of the Lord not because you did what you needed to do to walk into it. You're going to walk into it because He promised it. And the first thing you've got to do is believe that. Now there are things that He's going to tell you to do, but those things you do are because you believe Him. Disobedience comes from unbelief. Make no mistake, it comes from unbelief. Anything we do that goes against the word of the Lord stems from our own unbelief. Unbelief that He will supply. Unbelief that He'll be able to do what He told us He could do. Unbelief that He's enough. Unbelief that He is our portion. Unbelief that we are righteous because of Him. Unbelief because of whatever. That's why we do the things we do. The first thing you must settle is this is bigger than me. If you read through the book of Isaiah the book of Jeremiah, the book of Ezekiel. Find out how many times God says, for my sake. Good study right now. I'm not telling you to do it right now. Go home and study how many times God says, for my sake. Lots. He says, I'm doing this for me. You think I'm doing this for you? I'm doing it for me. God loves you enough that when He blesses you, He blesses you for His own sake. God loves you enough 
that when He stands with you, He stands with you because of His covenant for Himself, because He won't deny Himself. So you just get rid of that self-consciousness that says, I can't possibly be worthy of this affection, of this love, of this protection, because you're not. He does it for Himself. He loves you enough that everything He does for you, He's doing for Himself. The sake of His covenant, the sake of His Word, the sake of the creation that He made. Now, He loves you greatly. Don't think it's not for you, but it's bigger than you. Isn't that awesome? It's bigger than you. Let's read one story in Isaiah. Can we do that? I, I mean, I, I could just... I'm, I'm giving you bait. You go check it out, but that's not fair. That's like somebody saying, I've got a surprise. I know a secret, and then walking away and, and never telling you. That's not fair. You guys are hungry for the Word, aren't you? Are you hungry for what God's got for you? Listen, we know. Listen, you know, Scripture tells us that we will bear persecution for His sake. Scripture tells us we'll bear reproach for His sake. But you know, that is not the only thing you do for His sake. And if you're bearing the persecution that's given you for, your, for His sake, you're doing it in your own strength, you will fall, you'll break, you'll, you'll, you won't, you'll collapse. Was Jesus ever stopped by persecution? Was he persecuted? Was he hindered by it? No. Did Paul ever not get to a destination because of persecution? Did No, he didn't. Did he ever not go somewhere because he didn't have money? No. Now you look at Paul and you go, he went through a lot, didn't he? Did he ever fail to go where God told him to go? No. And he's just a man like you. The reason he didn't was he realized it's bigger than me. God is faithful. God is able. And everything that I walk through, I don't walk alone. Isaiah, you're called to walk in the blessing of God. You're called to walk in His, His plan that He had for mankind from the beginning to, fruitful, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it. That is for us for today, for we are seeds of Abraham. That's the same blessing given to Noah. It's the same blessing given to Abraham. Same blessing given to us. Isaiah chapter 37. I want to give you background on this for a moment. <clears throat> we'll wrap up with this, so, so stay hooked in. I want to give you some background for a moment. What's happened is there's the most powerful empire on the face of the planet at this time is coming to the gates of tiny, tiny Israel. I've told you this before. Some of you have been here on Wednesday nights, but for those of you that haven't, the Assyrian Empire makes the Nazis look like Girl Scouts. Here's some of the artifacts we have from the Assyrian Empire. We have some relief stones. Now, relief stones are like carvings, basically, and pictures drawn into the stones. We have them from some of the kings and they were boasting about their kingdom. It's things that would be in the waiting room as you wait to see the king. Now, you'd be excited to see the king if you were in the waiting room, right? Ah, oh, this is going to be great. I've been waiting for this all my life. But if you were waiting to see the king, you'd look up in the waiting room and you'd see on the wall about that one time that the village rebelled against him and he skinned them alive and, and um, tied them to posts in the middle of the desert, tied the children to posts so that they would die of thirst. Oh, that's great. Uh, oh, you'd see of this time that he impaled all these people. Oh, you'd see of this time he burned them alive. This is the waiting room as you're waiting to go in to see the king. Are you nervous now? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> you know what? No worry. No bother. I figured it out. Uh, uh, I'll just go back and do my job. You know, this is, this is the Assyrian Empire. They would lead their prisoners away with fish hooks in their nose and sometimes skin them alive. Do many See, see, the Assyrians worshipped a fish god. So they'd stick a, a hook through your nose to symbolize the victory of their god over you. Strangely, when Jonah came to these people, to the Assyrian Empire, to let them repent, you can understand why he wouldn't want them to repent. They were the cruelest empire the world's ever known. Historians today say part of the reason that Alexander, Cyrus, Darius... 
Part of the reason that these guys were able to conquer the Middle East was because the Assyrians so broke the spirit of Middle Easterners that they broke them to the leash of empire. That's how bad they were. Jonah goes in, smelling like fish, (laughs) ironically. (laughs) (laughs) Tells them to repent, and they do. You can understand why he's so ticked off that they repented. He wanted to see him burn. Later on, they, they come... In this, in this story, sorry. They come and they're, they're, he sends his best general. Sennacherib sends his best general, Reb Sheka. And uh, in this case, Sennacherib himself, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, comes out to the rail against the God of Israel. Then Isaiah, so Hezekiah is cried out to the Lord. He prays in the temple. He says, God, there's no way we can beat this empire. We're not even close. This is an empire. We're just a little kingdom. Verse 21, chapter 37. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent word to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you've prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word of the Lord that the Lord has spoken against him. She has despised you and mocked you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She, can, she has shaken her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? And against whom have you raised your voice? See, you thought you raised your voice against Israel. But Israel's mine. My virgin daughter. Oh, wow. When they speak against you, they speak against God himself. And haughtily lifted up your eyes against the Holy One of Israel. Through your servants you've reproached the Lord. And you've said, with my many chariots I came up to the heights of the mountains, to the remotest parts of Lebanon. And I cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypresses. And I will go to its highest peak and its thickest forest. I dug wells and drank waters. And with the sole of my feet I dried up all the rivers of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago I did it. From ancient times I planned it. Now I have brought you to pass that you should turn fortified cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore your inhabitants were short of, their inhabitants were short of strength. They were dismayed and put to shame. They were as the vegetation of the field and as the green herb, as grass on the housetops is scorched before it's grown up. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in. Boy, that freaks you out, hey? This commander thinks he's fighting against Israel. And then the God of all creation who made the mountains, who made the forests, who made the snow comes and says, I know You're going out and you're going in. I know when you sit down. I know when you get up again. And you're raging against me. Because if you're raging against me, and because your arrogance has come up to my ears, therefore, listen to this, I will put my hook in your nose. (laughs) And my bridle in your lips. And I will turn you back by the way which you came. This shall be a sign for you. You shall eat this year. Now, 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 he's talked to the enemy. Now he's talking to Hezekiah. He switches. He says, this will be a sign for you, Hezekiah. You shall eat this year what grows of itself. And in the second year, what springs from the same. Remember, they're under siege. Hard to get food when you're under siege. And in the third year, sow, reap, plant vineyards, and eat their food. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Boy, I read that this morning and got so excited about what God is calling His people to. And I said, Lord, let that be for us. To take root downward and to bear fruit upward. That's us, isn't it? Praise God. And then he says this. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and out of Mount Zion survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Israel, he shall not come to this city or shoot an arrow there. Neither shall he come before it with a shield nor throw up a mound against it. By the way he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake. And for my servant David's sake. Do you hear that? I'm saving your city, not for you. Not, for, not, for, not because you did anything right, but I'm saving it for my sake. I will defend my city and I will defend my covenant with your father David. Then the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, all of these were dead. 
So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. Of course, he died later. In fact, one verse later. <laughs> I want you to see that. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for me. Ezekiel 36, same thing. He goes, you guys did all the wrong things. He calls them out. He says, you went and worshipped other gods. You, you rebelled against me. You committed adultery. But I'm not doing this for your sake. I'm doing it for my name. For my name, I'll save you. For my name, I'll make you fruitful. For my name, I'll deliver you. For my name, I'll bring you up out of bondage. For my name, I'll restore you. Now, how much more, people, as the people of God, called and adopted in His family with a new and better covenant, how much more will the Lord fight for you for His own sake? How much more will the Lord stand for you for His own name? How much more will He stand with you and rescue you as He did for Paul out of the mouth of the lion? You've got to step out of unbelief. Unbelief is fully focused on you the whole time. What have I done? What have I not done? What can I do? What can't I do? Are they stronger than me? Is this stronger than me? Forget it. Is it stronger? Stronger than the Lord of hosts because he'll do it for his own sake and his covenant with you goes deeper than you his covenant with you is not about you his covenant now is a covenant with himself and he won't break it you can break it he won't break it get over yourself let God remove every ounce of pride humble yourself out of the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you but you did not do this you can do what God called you to do. But be, be careful that none falls away with a wicked, evil, unbelieving heart. Your heart is what will stop you from entering into the promised land. Unbelief will keep you out of it. Unbelief will keep us out of our promised land. Unbelief will keep you out of the rest of God. Start believing in your high priest. Put your hope in him. Put your faith in him. Put all your cards on the table and bet everything on Jesus Christ because he's the one who's delivering you. He's the one who set his hope in you and on you. He's the one who made a covenant. He's the one who died for that covenant. He's the one who was faithful over his own house. That means he takes care of his house. And if you've been faithful to keep that confession, to keep that hope, to keep that confidence, then you're His house and He takes care of His house. Forget, the New Testament says that if, a, if an overseer can't, a bishop can't take care of his own house, he shouldn't be doing the job. He can't take care of his own family, he can't work in the church. Now there's exceptions. But that's the general, that's what it says. It says if he can't take care of his own house... How can he be expected to take care of the house of God? Now listen, Jesus calls you his house. Do you think he's able to take care of his own house? Don't you think he's able to, don't you think he's qualified to, to make sure his family's in line and make sure his family's taken care of, to make sure his family's provided for, to make sure his family doesn't fall away, to make sure his family doesn't, doesn't fall short of what he's called them to? He is faithful. He is able. And if you remember this, everything else falls away. Everything else goes. I've been promised. I'm, I'm partakers of a heavenly calling. I've been a partaker of a covenant that goes way beyond myself. And if the Israelites had just said, it's not about us. It's about a covenant sworn hundreds of years before we came along. We're just, we're just blessed to be entering into it. You've entered into the, the glory runner stage of the race. You've entered into the final leg of the relay. You've entered into the final part of the race. Get over yourself and say, I run His race. I take His inheritance. I partake in His calling and now because He's sworn this covenant with Adam. Isn't this... This this will just... I don't know, man. This is bigger than I can think. Adam had a covenant made with him. Eve had a covenant made with her right away. Immediately after their sin, God tells them that, that, that Eve's seed will bruise the head of the serpent. Through Adam comes Noah. And he says, Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Through you, the earth is going to be replenished, your descendants. 
God blesses Abraham, promises him this, makes a covenant with him. Same covenant with Isaac, same covenant with Jacob, same covenant with Joseph, with David, with Moses. Moses and the David. All the time, each one of those covenants is building on the covenant he's already made. See, God made a covenant with Abraham because he made a covenant with mankind. God made a covenant with Moses because he made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with David because he made a covenant with Moses. God made a covenant with these Israelites in, in Isaiah's time because he made a covenant with David. Guess what? All of that leads up to us. The covenant he made with his own son. And he sealed with his own son's blood. We are at the culmination of history. At the very apex of man's story. We stand at the edge of the precipice and we're it. We're it. We are partakers of all of that. Everything he said to our forefathers, everything he said to all those great men comes to you. If you're seeds of Abraham, if you're adopted in the family of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to get over yourself. This is way bigger than you. Way bigger. I hope we don't lose anybody with that last part, but it is way bigger than you. So, don't be so afraid. Don't be so afraid. Don't be so self-condemning all the time. You know what? God is able to make you holy. He's able to make you righteous. And when you are righteous, you will live righteously. Guarantee. He's able to make you fruitful, to bear roots downward, bear fruit upward this is God's work you step into it by belief believe him he is faithful the high priest is faithful the high priest is able we're going to step into it amen would you stand up